Welcome to the O Show with Orlana Darkens Jewelry, your connection to events, topical interests, issues, and the movers and shakers in our world, and the opportunity to learn things that make you say, oh. Most people who start at a new company know the drill. In addition to meetings and an office tour, orientation day typically includes sitting through a session or clicking through a set of virtual slides with a quiz to follow on diversity and sensitivity training. These company-wide sessions are staples at Fortune 500 companies and smaller organizations alike. Every major institution, whether it's academia or fashion, diversity, equity, and inclusion, DEI for short, seems to be the go-to strategy for dealing with the lack of diversity. But what happens when DEI trainings don't work? Joining me today is Dr. Lauren Tucker, CEO and founder of Do What Matters that designs inclusion first solution operational I'm sorry, that designs inclusion first solutions that reduce operational inefficiencies and talent management that foster bias and exclusion and undermine the creativity and innovation required for business growth. Dr. Tucker, welcome to the O Show. Uh, Thank you for having me. So let's jump right in because you started your company because you were frustrated with the pace of change in diversity, equity and inclusion. Yes, I think uh, certainly frustrated with the pace of change uh, that just like so many employees and consumers expect from uh, corporations these days. And so uh, that, that that led us to ask the question, what's what's happening? What's wrong mm-hmm. here? And throughout actually the years that we have been consulting with clients, we've realized you don't really have a diversity problem. You have a talent problem. And more importantly, your talent has a problem with you. And so diversity or DEI programs, diversity first programs, they won't fix a broken system. And what we're realizing that in the 21st century, there is a growing divide between business leaders and the employees that are the engines of their growth, especially in an economy driven by knowledge creativity, information, and service. And so we focused, we really focus on talent-centric solutions that start with inclusion first, making sure that everybody feels safe, valued, heard, and productive. And we see inclusion as the input and greater diversity and representation will be the output. We also don't focus a lot on Um, individual trainings. We do offer, um, I should say this, we don't focus on individual psychology and trying to change individual psychology. Mm -hmm. We conduct trainings that help people implement more efficient processes, more transparent processes, more inclusive processes, fairer processes, uh, especially with regard to talent management um, and uh, productivity that changes the behaviors within the organization so that you get the behaviors, the inclusive behaviors that um, everybody needs in order to feel like they are truly contributing to the mission of the company. So we're part of a vanguard of 
consultants that really you know, that are called inclusion first consultants. We focus on um, solution building, not problem solving. We don't live in the problem, right? And we also focus on behavior-based solutions rather than um, trainings that are based on trying to change individual psychology. Because even when you're successful at that, when those individuals leave, then the organization that really hasn't changed reverts back to um, encouraging those inefficient behaviors that uh, foster bias and exclusion. I think there's also uh, a recognition on the, you know, by inclusion first consultants that so much of bias and, and exclusion is about cronyism and nepotism, not necessarily racism or, you know, um, sexism or all the other isms. Now, don't tell, don't get me wrong. Those, those are there as well, but uh, so much more is just driven by cronyism and nepotism because we have such inefficient talent management operations that do not make um, the policies explicit, uh, advancement and promotion fair and transparent. And so people rely on advancing the people that they know and they feel comfortable with. You know, I like that you said um, it's not about changing the psychology because I've been in situations where it's announced, you know, we're going to have this diversity training and the people around me would think exactly that. Oh, they're trying to change me. They're trying to change my belief system. And it really wasn't about that. No, I mean, and I think we learned that in the 1960s when um, we started to uh, see civil rights legislation um, change the behaviors first. Mm -hmm. And then when behaviors change and people realize the benefit to those processes and behaviors, then their psychology will change, um, typically will change. But when you change the processes, you, you change the behaviors that you want to, to the behaviors you want to see. And I think that's really important because um, these are organizations. Organizations are systemic. They're based on how we operate as teams. Individual psychology, and I'm not saying there aren't bad actors. And I do think that we have to give people the tools to have um, better conflict resolution conversations, uh, better solution building conversations. And we can teach people the skills to have better conversations, reduce the fear and frustration that often leads to bad behavior. Um, and we need to teach managers and leaders how to have conversations with the people they lead so that they can encourage uh, more productive, positive behaviors rather than doing mass individual trainings designed to change everybody's behavior at the same time. That's like saying, you know, we, we, you know, we talk about when people push back on equity and, you know, they talk about, well, I believe in equality, not equity. And I said, I said, so you believe that your career should be treated the same as everybody else around you. 
or you believe that when you order something from Amazon <laughs> that you don't mind getting the same recommendations that I get. Right. So then all of a sudden they kind of go, wait a minute. No, I, I want the recommendations I want. I want personalization. Right. I want customization. Well, that's what equity is. And so we've got to now reskill not just managers, but the C-suite on how to manage humans um, for the 21st century. As, as we like to say, you got to go beyond DEI and start managing the unique the, the uniquely human capabilities and all their complexity and diversity. And that takes, that takes new skills um, right from the top. And that's the kind of training that we do is to train leaders, people leaders um, and managers, how to manage humans and everything that they need in order to drive growth in the 21st century. And when you talk about talent management, when when does that start? Does that start at the interviewing process or after? We actually have uh, an entire inclusive talent management system that starts right at the beginning of attracting talent, how we go about recruiting talent, interviewing talent. We change up the, the whole system to make sure that it minimizes bias. Um, but more importantly, we focus on making better hiring decisions because inclusion management is really about getting great people into great jobs, elevating their relevant differences. It's not always about targeted differences, about being black, brown, female, et cetera. It's about making sure that the right people are in the room from all the different disciplines. Many disciplines often kind of are the, you know, the stepchild type thing. Um, and so it's about elevating relevant differences so that the people who are in the organization can create the content or the product or the services that are memorable and meaningful and remarkable to today's multicultural and transcultural and global audience. So I will admit something, you know, for me, when I see a company, especially when they promote it, when they promote DEI training, I feel like it's an attempt to appear responsible. So, so for example, when Starbucks faced the, uh, the calls for a boycott in 2018 after the controversial arrest of two black men at uh, one of their coffee chains, they publicly announced that they'll be closing briefly to conduct racial bias and racial bias education for, for employees. Um, do you think in those manners, DI gets a bad rap that is used for uh, promotion of PR uh, purposes? I think, unfortunately, those kinds of initiatives, those standalone initiatives obscure the, really obscure the larger issue, right? Um, it's, uh, it obscures the fact that the people in the store didn't have transparent and explicit policies mm -hmm. on how to treat their consumers in the store. People often go to Starbucks and hang out. I mean, that's the whole point of Starbucks, right? You hang out, you hope people buy more than one coffee, mm -hmm. but people go there to work. They go there and that company has encouraged that kind of consumer behavior. What they didn't do was train their service personnel to understand how to have 
solution building conversations with consumers, with the people in their stores, to treat the people in their stores like humans, because, oh, guess what? The baristas aren't treated like humans either. Right. And so they aren't given the right, they aren't given the right kind of training. And so what happens is when you do these standalone DEI initiatives, you start focus, you focus on quote unquote diversity as a problem rather than taking the opportunity to, to look at what are the operational causes that would have given these people the protocols they need to be able to manage the diversity of human experiences that are the consumers that come into the stores. And they would have spent, they would have benefited more as a company by training people on how to be better at delivering services to their customers than to focus on racial bias training. Because at the end of the day, those people were customers and they were treated that way. And that's how, that's the reason why a lot of times, and don't get me wrong, we are very, um, we have great partnerships with chief diversity officers, but when companies come to us and they don't have a chief diversity officer, we oftentimes recommend don't, don't hiring one because that just signifies it's a bolt on or a standalone initiative. What we say is we need to get the CEO and the chief, you know, the chief of human resources, the chief people officer. Those are the two people that need to work with us to help the company get more efficient at managing the humans that are the engines of their growth. And I think you uh, may have answered my next question because I was going to ask, when does it be, when does it um, change from a training to company culture? Well, I think, you know, what's interesting is I, you know, the whole idea of training, I kind of put aside, this is about ongoing learning and development for everybody in the company. That should be an essential part of the culture. And if that's an essential part of the culture, you know, learning and development to help people manage relationships with other humans will again result in greater diversity and representation. But that training cannot be just relegated to managers and individual contributors. That training has to start with reskilling the C-suite. When many of those folks who are managing companies or leading companies today came of professional age, they came of professional age in the latter part of the 20, 20th century, which I call the, the century of talent abuse. We were all raised by wolves. I'm one of them. You know, I'm a recovering boomer, as I like to say. And so <laughs> we were all raised by wolves. Um, but I, as, I, as I like to say, and I'll give you an example that I, I like to put out there, and that is I remember being onboarded with the statement that, uh, Lauren, we love, um, we love, you know, giving you enough rope to hang yourself. Now I'll say that in, in public speaking and I hear all these groans in the audience because everybody naturally goes towards, oh, can't believe somebody talked about hanging and, you know, lynching or suicide with a young black woman. And what I say to them is, but you, you've actually missed the, the next layer of that. And that is, this was a manager, a managing director that was abdicating their responsibility for helping me find job success. Mm -hmm. and, in, and I was an entry level person. 
So that's the more important piece is that managers and business leaders need to stop abdicating their responsibility and start taking on the responsibility that goes with the power that they have to ensure that everybody in their organization has the job success that is initially promised when you're recruiting people. And that's going to that's going to also create the talent gravity that you need to um, reduce that kind of churn that cost companies money. Uh, every time you you change out somebody and you have to recruit a new person for a role that somebody else has left, that's between fifteen thousand to twenty five thousand dollars. It is one of those unseen costs that will come to haunt you, and we see that. We actually see that happening, especially in the tech startup phase, where they get literally eaten that their, their profits are really eaten from the inside out um, because there's just too much turnover, too much churn, and nobody's really focusing on how do I help everybody in this organization have the job success that that they desire, and quite frankly, that's what people of color. That's what women want. That's what LGBTQ want. That's what people with, you know, disabilities want. They just want what everybody else wants. They want a positive culture where they can have the kind of career that they, in the, in the work experience, that they desire. A positive work experience where they can feel safe, valued, heard, and productive. You reminded me uh, one of my earlier jobs, uh, they told me that their core values uh, was the company, the client, and then me. <laughs> and they were right because I was last. Yes. <laughs> that yes. was the corporate culture. Yes. And I will say that this culture perpetuates itself into the 21st century um, where we really can't afford that kind of mindset. We, you know, this is a, this is a, an economy that depends on the uniquely human capabilities that employees bring to the to the office, whether it's on the shop floor, you know, whether it's on the 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 line in the in the factory, um, whether it's in you know a cubicle somewhere, uh, we no longer have uh, even a manufacturing economy that doesn't require those uniquely human capabilities of creativity and innovation and knowledge and information. And so we have to nurture and advance those capabilities. And that means that leadership, corporate leadership globally has to start reskilling themselves to start seeing, and that's, that begins with a mindset shift, that these are not interchangeable parts that are commodities and fungible right? These are human beings that despite the similarities and titles that we might give them, they still, the, the, the job still depends on them bringing those uniquely human capabilities and the complexity of their human experiences to the job in order to create that content or that product or that service that um, will drive growth and prosperity and make, and make, companies competitive for the future. So for a company that wants to begin this journey, how do they start? You know, I, I'm going to say something really simple and um, it seems obvious, but given our experience, um, I can tell you that it may, what seems obvious isn't obviously done. 
and that is there just there needs to be much more strategic solution building um, for the organization that starts at the top. And I think the C-suite gets caught up in quarterly earnings calls and um, the routines that kind of drive the business. And there needs to be almost a continuous revisiting of how employees are relating to the organizational strategy. This not only integrates inclusion, equity, and diversity into the business as opposed to being standalone, but the entire goal, and we talk about this in terms of um, you know, employee resource groups, which we actually call business resource groups, because the, the employees are your biggest resource, your, should be your biggest advocates, and they should be tied into the mission and the strategy of the company. And if you are not putting that talent central to your growth, then you're not running your business well. So I would say that for people who really want to move their business forward, so the, the, I'm going to flip the scripts, right? For people who really want to move their business forward and be competitive in the 21st century, then they need to start looking at an organizational strategy that is inclusive and that truly taps in to that tremendous human resource, and I'm going to re, kind of repackage that, that phrase, the tremendous human resource that is the engine of their company. And everything that they do should be talent-centric because that's, that's really how you're going to grow your business in the 21st century. So that's what we try to do is really work with the C-suite top-down to make the kinds of changes that not only will, will help their companies be more inclusive, but be more successful. And that's, I think, the winning strategy that will ultimately result in greater diversity and representation, but greater success and growth. Dr. Lauren Tucker, CEO and founder of Do What Matters. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. I really appreciate being asked. And for more information about her company, visit her website. It's letsdowhatmatters.com. Thank you all for tuning into The O Show with Orlana Darkness Jury. Until next time, keep shining.